We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. There's definitely a need for me to be aggressive throughout the game, to create, draw attention, get shots up, and just continue to apply pressure. Obviously, these first two games, it's, it's going well. I don't know what it'll look like on the road the rest of the series. It's just always about being confident with the ball in my hands and make plays. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Herrick on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. That was Steph Curry right there. You know what the rest of the, you know what it's going to look like. Ass whoopings, handing them out for the rest of the series. Come on. They were supposed to win game one. They should have won game one. Not supposed to. They should have won game one. They took game two handedly, and it's going to be more of the same for the rest of the series. Like, people out here really thinking Boston's going to be do something. That's not, that's not what's going to happen. And unless Are you one of these people? Do you feel like Boston is, is going to win? Don't tell me that that's you. I mean, I definitely think they got a shot, man. The way they Come play on, defense, don't play devil's advocate. No. Nah, man. Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm picking the dubs in the series. Okay. But part of my thing is I live with a Celtics fan. My wife is from New England, <laughs> so she's been kind of steadily – methodically doing everything in her power to convert our son into a New England sports fan. Oh, she bought him all the Patriots gear, all oh. the Celtics gear, all the Red Sox gear. Now, fortunately for me, he's surrounded by Chicago sports at all times because we live here. So I don't have to put a lot of extra effort into it. It's, it's on the TVs. He's hearing me, watching me on different shows or whatever. So he gets plenty of the Chicago influence, but because he's not surrounded by it, then she's putting the extra effort in with the gear, with the viewing habits. So we actually took uh, we took him to uh, the game. I think it, it was game six, actually, when they were in, in Milwaukee. The Celtics played in Milwaukee. Oh, wow. A couple weeks back, took him to game six there. Celtics won on the road at the Bucks in Milwaukee. But this is actually, this might be a little bit of a turning point for the wife to actually, like, where he's a little more into it now because he saw them in person. They won the game. Mm. You know, him and Mama really got to kind of celebrate the Celtics doing something big in a hostile environment. Super loud in Milwaukee. Had to give him the headphones and all that. But he did really enjoy that. And so now when they're on, He's more into it now. Like, it'd be one thing like when, whenever the Bulls were on or the Bears were on because he hears me talking about them so much. Yeah. It was easier for him to get into that. Now, since we actually took him to the game in person, he's more into it, which I'm, I'm cool with. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a bias influence there just in kind of seeing, especially, man, like Jason Tatum hadn't even got off in the series yet. And I just just looking at the way, because the Bucks play defense at a high level too, looking at the way he was able to get it done one-on-one so frequently on the road in Milwaukee especially. Jason Tatum is one of the, one of the you know, maybe not the, one of the seminal talents in the game, but certainly a, a star, like a true, I think he has shown himself as a legit star in this league on each end of the court. Well, why don't I believe done. him, man? Why don't I believe him? I, I, I look at Jason Tatum and I see his body of work. And even though he's he beat Durant in, in in the first round, you know he beat mm-hmm. Giannis. I just I look at him and I just don't believe it. I look at Jason Tatum. And I say I just don't look at you like a top five superstar in this league 
but yet somehow, some way, here you are putting up 28 in the NBA Finals, and I still don't believe you that you're capable of putting a team on your back and you know winning an NBA Finals. I think that's the thing, man, because he's been around for so long, and so I think you're almost in a, in a Zach Levine sort of way where he's been in the league. For such a, it feels like such a long time, but he's still a really young dude, man. He's in his mid twenties still, yeah. At this point, but he's been in the league for like six, seven years or something like that. <laughs> so we've been watching him for a long time, and it's, so it kind of feels like because his career has been fairly lengthy now, and he's just finally hit this plateau of potential superstardom. That it, it feels like maybe it's a little tougher to believe, and I think that's a factor in why. But when it comes down to it, where Jason Tatum is a guy who. You know, not as an individual has to take it all on by himself because you do have Jalen Brown, you do have some other Celtic teammates, even Al Horford, who for whatever reason kind of disappeared in game two. But you do have other teammates who have that potential to do big things. In the end, I'm still picking the dubs, but I do believe that Boston is going to make a series out of it. I don't think this yeah. is just like some gentleman sweep or Golden State's running away. I don't know, and I don't know, and I look at this series and I see what's happening. And I, I look at let's just look at Jason Tatum specifically. I mean, his plus minus in the last game was minus 36. No one was even close to him when it came to that. And the big difference was in game one, he had a, 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 I think it was like plus 13, but it was because he was distributing the ball. He wasn't making buckets, so he was moving the ball around. And it seems like in game two, he was like, no, 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 no. I got to score. I got to get my my game right. I'm not passing the ball. Nobody's getting this. And the team suffered. Minus 36 is like, you're trash if you're minus 36. The worst of his career. Yeah. yeah, like something like that is just like absolutely ridiculous. But when you're looking at the rest of this team, I mean, Boston cannot win with Al Horford going one for four from the field. With Robert mm-hmm. Williams only taking one shot. You got to have at least a rebound and a putback. You know, Marcus Smart 0 for 3 from the three-point line, going 1 for 6 in the last game. I mean, he's someone that needs to contribute not only on the defensive side of the ball, but also on the offense, create some sort of offensive production. And then you look at a guy like Derek White who has been coming through as of late. But I feel like he is in the in the in the space of I'm feeling myself too much, and so I feel like when I get the ball, like I got the green light because I had a couple of good games. But that's what happens. You end up going four for thirteen, and your plus minus is minus seventeen. So I, I think the Boston Celtics just they're just overmatched. I think Golden State Warriors just have a, a better team than they, they do, and more opportunities to put like points on the board. I, they definitely got a better offense. There's no doubt about that. And they still can perform at a high level on defense. And obviously Boston isn't near in the same plateau offensively as the Dubs are. But that being said, part of it, I, I think, as well, where, you know, I, I was shocked, man. Like, coming into the series, there was a lot of folks picking Boston. That kind of caught me off guard. I just kind of figured the general public would just assume that the way Golden State kind of just breezed their way through the Western Conference playoffs getting to this point. And we've seen big moments from Steph, saw a big, you know, kind of closeout game in the previous series from Clay. So I just kind of assumed everybody would think, all right, dubs are going to roll. That wasn't really the, the overall sentiment that people seem to have yeah. about things. So that did surprise me a little bit. But I do think there's still a part of our brains that have it built up with, you know, now six NBA Finals trip in eight years, but we've seen a couple of seasons that weren't as good. But now that they're healthy, that we're kind of assuming that this is the same Golden State squad as it was, but it's really not. Like, maybe you're seeing still a similar version of Steph, but you're seeing a diminished Klay Thompson. You're seeing a, a sometimey kind of Draymond Green where he's not that defensive force game in and game out. He's still got it in him, but it's it's harder once you've been at it for a long time to kind of bring it at that level 
every single game. So we'll see what happens in Boston. I do think that going on the road, now being with the games coming up in Boston, is going to be a different situation for Golden State as well. Just even think about something where Draymond was talking about after the game, an attitude adjustment that he brought to things, which was necessary and effective, but he should have had a second technical and not even been able to finish the game. (laughs) Does he get the benefit of that doubt from the officials on the road in Boston when every time Draymond Draymond Green opens his mouth, you're going to have all those Celtics fans yelling at the officials to tee, to tee him up, up, to call a foul. I think that's going to have a little bit more of an influence on the officials as well. So that's why I still think Golden State needs to be careful with that aspect of it where Boston's going to bring – we've seen them lose some home games in the postseason here already too. Sure. So they're, they're definitely not unbeatable when you're playing in Boston, but the influence of both the, the crowd, how that affects the officiating of the game, the physicality that you can be certain Boston's going to try to bring to the table, I do think all those things end up being factors in how they, they can at least keep the game close. And if it's close late, we've seen big shot makers, and it's not all Jason Tatum. Maybe it's Horford, maybe yeah. it's Brown. you got a few guys who've hit big shots for Boston. I just don't think – I think if Golden State wins on Wednesday – they're gonna they're gonna win they're gonna win out. It's gonna be a four one thing because because they they lost game yeah, one and yeah. I feel like they said to themselves, "Hey, if we get to the finals, we're not gonna waste the opportunity." Then they got to the finals, <laughs> had a lead, and wasted the opportunity. So I feel uh, like it was a wake up call for them, and you're gonna see more or less uh, similar games than what you saw: low scoring, high defense with some good uh, some offensive good offensive production by uh, Steph Curry. Now I want I do want to talk about the Bulls quickly before we get okay. out of here, and obviously there have been. Uh, they reportedly have some interest in guys like Rudy Gobert and Mitchell Robinson. Now, when you're looking at the Utah Jazz team, their coach Quinn Snyder he stepped away mm-hmm. uh, from from the team. But so uh, it's it's you almost look at it like are they going to be in the rebuild process? Because I said it last year when when Utah lost in the first round, I said they need to blow up that team. If you can't get out the first round with all your guys there, then there's no reason for you to continue to try to build around those those guys. So for them to be able to get rid of Rudy Gobert. Do you think that that's something that the Bulls should pursue, a guy that doesn't necessarily have the offensive productivity as maybe like a, a Vooch, but he can be that rim protector? Or like, do you feel like he's someone that could fit in on our roster, or do you feel like we should just leave him in Utah with the Mormons over there? I think that for Gobert, yes. You, you definitely need some additional rim protection, just some defense in general. Somebody who brings that mentality to things would be huge to add Rudy Gobert. I don't think it's quite as important, as, as odd as it feels, man, for me and my defensive mentality to, to be saying this. I think it's important for the even more important for the Bulls to add some perimeter shooting, you know, to make sure you yeah. got at least one more, maybe two more guys who can who can threaten defenses from three. Like it, it was nice to see Kobe White have some of those moments, but he wasn't able to show himself consistently, especially once you got into the playoffs as a guy that defenses had to respect from beyond the arc. And you, you just you got to have it. If you're not defending better, like it's one thing for Boston to be inconsistent from three, and they're, they're not, even, not even as inconsistent from three as the Bulls are, but Boston can defend. Milwaukee can defend. True. The Bulls, unless you are really just going to have a complete DNA shift and turn into some kind of defensive juggernaut, it's going to be really important for them to with Jamar DeRozan. There's no reason to think that uh, Debo won't continue to be on this squad next season, maybe even multiple seasons beyond here. So if that's going to be the case, you know he's not really going to add three-point shooting to his game. So beyond Zach Levine, who are the other three-point shooters that defenses really have to respect? You need some of that. So I'd say if I had to prioritize either one, they got to add some three-point shooting, and then maybe you get to trying to you know have a, a rim protector, a Rudy Gobert type, 
how can you really add both of them if it's going to get that expensive? Then that's where things can be difficult unless you're talking about some kind of a trading of Vooch and acquiring some additional assets yeah. to make it happen. But I think between the two, if it were just going to be one that the Bulls added, can you get away without a rim protector? You'd rather not. But if it comes down to it, you know, get some shooting, man. Just yeah. outscore some folks, especially from beyond three. I feel like right now, Ant, Bulls fans are at a place with Nikola Vucevic as they were, as Cubs fans were with Chris Bryant some years ago, where it's like, all right, bro, we thought you were the man. We thought you were going to uh, continue to play well. You, you've been getting on our nerves. Not me. I love Vooch. <laughs> but all I'm saying, yeah. just Bulls fans in general, and they're asking yeah. for his head. So I can see something where management is saying, okay, if we're looking for offensive productivity, we already got that from Levine and DeMar DeRozan, and we mm. can go get some role-playing three-point shooters. But when it comes to protecting the rim – and, and really being the guy that can grab 20 rebounds for you in this kind of position, Rudy Gobert is that guy. And if there, if somehow, some way, Rudy Gobert can end up end up on this team in place of Nikola, then I, I think it's something that you really got to look at. If, if, like you said, you're trying to take your team to the next level, because if you look at those last four teams that were remaining, they all were playing phenomenal defense. They and, were, and so yeah. and and so that that that's the common denominator from those teams. So if you want your offensive guys to, to kind of have a shot, you're going to need someone like Rudy Gobert to go ahead and take that. But it'll be interesting. It's going to be an interesting offseason. I'm glad we got to talk some some bulls. I put a dollar in the bucket. Oh, yeah. Don't worry, man. I put a dollar for you, too, because <laughs> you were in on that conversation as uh, well. All right? uh, a conversation I definitely want you in on in the car is one about the Chicago Cubs. They split their series with the St. Louis Cardinals over the weekend, and David Haw asked the very same question. He said, if you – perform well against a playoff-bound team, should that be enough for the Chicago Cubs fan base? Well, to answer that very same question, we're going to talk to Evan Altman from the Real Cub Insider right after this. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is 670 to score. Madrigal bounces one to second base. Donovan has it, throws to first, and the Cardinals come from behind and beat the Cubs here at Wrigley Field. St. Louis wins it by a score of 5-3. to three. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Joining us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino, home of, law, home of the world's largest sports book. He's, for, he's a real Cubs insider, and we are talking to Evan Altman right now. Evan, now that the Cubs have tied up the Chicago Cubs World Series two to two against the St. Louis Cardinals, do you feel, <laughs> do you feel like do you do you genuinely? I mean, because this I'm not even a Cubs fan. This felt good to me to see them go in there and be like, hey, you know what? Despite where we're at in our rebuild process, when we're we're still going to make games competitive in the division. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if uh, I, I think. If we're at the point where we're counting moral victories uh, for a team, it's, it's you, you probably can uh, can go ahead and write off the season, you know. When you and and uh, with all the love and respect due to to Pat Hughes, uh, you know, he, and he and he always he, he loves to bring that up, and it's true that the the Cubs and Cardinals you generally throw the records out the window when they play, but when you look at it and say, well, well, golly, you know, they they went. Uh, four and five against the, the the two top teams in the division. Woo! You know they 
they didn't quite have a really bad losing record against the Brewers and, and Cardinals. They, they played them close. That, that's not really what you want to hear from a team that, uh, you know, went to three straight National League Championship Series and won a World Series and was expected to do big things. So it, it's good and bad. You know, they, they look like they're playing good baseball at times. The, the problem is then you look at the standings and um, reality kind of sinks in. And that's definitely part of what, what stands out because, you know, we've had the discussion going on for a little while here since the comments about biblical losses and whatnot. And now the Cubs are in the midst of this rebuild. As you see it, I mean, is is there anything really tangible that, that separates the Cubs and, and why they're taking this approach that we're kind of witnessing here? Mm. I mean, you know, I guess it's starting to get kind of fun with some of the Fresh. prospects coming up and, and doing a few things here. But by comparison to, you know, a New York team, an L.A. team, even St. Louis, man, it's not like we see the Cards having losing records on any any consistent basis. It's been a minute since we've seen that happen. So how how do the Cubs really view themselves differently than some of these other squads that seem to basically go for it every year? Well, you know, Ant, you brought it up. Uh, maybe they're going with the biblical theme and they're and they're <laughs> letting everybody feel like Job for a few years, so that uh, when when things get better, you know, so go go sit in the ashes for a couple years, and then hey, guess what? Uh, you know, 80 wins is going to feel really good. Uh, but <laughs> in all seriousness, though, there are, you know, again, at the, at the risk of kind of continuing some of these moral victories, you know, look at look at Saturday's doubleheader. Uh, Matt Swarmer comes up, you know, a guy who had kind of been forgotten about. 2018, he's the minor league pitcher of the year for the organization. Had a couple of down years, but then middle of last year, he started to put things together, really leaned on that slider. We've seen him put together two really good starts. We saw Caleb Killian debut. So now you've got two guys come up. Look at Chris Morrell, who has come up and just electrified the entire team. He's batting leadoff. He's playing center field, you know, at the risk of really getting crazy. I mean, we, have, we haven't seen that, though, since Dexter Fowler. When's the last time the Cubs had that everyday center fielder who could bat leadoff? Um, there, there are – things happening you're seeing a lot of really good players come up the the guys that they picked up in trades uh, as much as i think everyone still is is smarting from that a little bit those players that they picked up have really shown out so far in the minor league so there is talent coming um but i know that's really difficult for folks who are showing up to regularly or, or watching on television to really put those things together because it, it is kind of hard to see that but if they play their cards right, uh, and, and if they decide to start spending some money again to put some top-level talent around those prospects, I think there is some serious potential here to be competitive very, very quickly. Yeah, and it's funny that, that you mentioned that, Evan, because just the other day I was talking with someone and I said, I said but, but the Reds and the Pirates feel like they're just a couple of moves away from being competitive too, right? Like people, people that are in that position, that's what they feel. They're a couple moves away. But someone that they can't, the Cubs specifically – can really look to as, as to, to when they're talking about the future of the Cubs organization is Caleb Killian. You mentioned it before; he got a start in, uh, during the doubleheader. What was your your take uh, after watching him pitch? I mean, obviously six Ks, five innings. Look, I mean, he looked good on the mound. But what, what was your takeaway after watching him pitch? Yeah, the big thing. Uh, I mean, it was it was kind of one of those, um, and, and sort of what I wrote about. You know, the way he came out. I think seven pitches into his major league career, and he's got two strikeouts. So, you know, that that's kind of mind-blowing. So that was better than what anybody expected. But then you kind of watched that fourth inning. Things sort of fell back down to earth. But what I was most impressed by 
on a couple of different fronts. First of all, uh, David Ross being comfortable sending him back out for the fifth inning and then him coming off of that really, I mean, again, that, that fourth inning was rough. He had two walks, and he's known for being a, a very, very precise pitcher. So the two walks were pretty ugly, a wild pitch, three runs come in, but then he comes out and he has a, a clean fifth, gave up a single but struck out um, the first batter and the last batter and, and ended on that high note. So to see someone in that position facing a team filled with veterans to lock it down after the rough inning, that's what spoke to me. And, and I think what we're seeing is a guy who's got a ton of polish who you know probably could be up and, and stay there, but obviously they've got some other things going on in the meantime uh, before he'll be up permanently. So take that a level deeper for us. Why isn't he staying up mm. right now? Yes. Well, um, that, that's a that's a good question, and uh, I I uh, felt like he probably should have been up for the the first doubleheader uh, this this past Monday. You know, a week ago, although uh, that was one of the starts that Swarmer made and and looked good there. But you know, I think when you when you start looking at some of these things that they've got going on, you know, they have several guys who are injured who are going to be coming off. Alec Mills should be coming back pretty soon. You've got Drew Smiley. He'll be out for a while. Wade Miley. There's there's a bunch of these starters, and I think what they're looking at now, while if it were me, it's obviously not, but if, if they chose to let me make the decisions, I'd say let the kid go out there and hopefully the kid, he's, you know, he just turned 25, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're birthday bros. I'm a little bit older than he is, so I can call him a kid, but let him take his lumps now when, when the results don't really matter. Right As we talked about, this is not a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, to me, you're not concerned with whether he makes your team better or not right now. Let him get some more games that are like that fourth inning that he's got to come back from because those are going to be inevitable no matter how good he ends up being. Uh, but I think they see it a little bit differently to where he can continue to really hone those skills a little bit more, um, develop that changeup a little bit more, Right, keep working on the, the knuckle curve that he developed last year in the Arizona Fall League. And, uh, and maybe get dominant and build his confidence a little bit more. So I think they see his developmental path a little bit differently from what I do, but that's, that's what it looks like they're trying to do now is just let, let him play that lower competition and continue to hone those couple of things that, that maybe he's missing right now. We're talking to Evan Altman from Real Cubs Insider. You can follow him on Twitter, D. Evan Altman. Of course, we're talking about Caleb Killian and, and his impact that he can make on this Cubs team. And speaking of, of, of impact, obviously a guy like Justin Steele has been, you know, for, for me, been performing well for where, what they're asking from him. And I thought it was really cool how he, he's quoted uh, the other day uh, saying that, that Rossi called him into the office and how Lester called Rossi to give him a few tips, saying that it, he wanted him to, uh, you know, take the four-seamer, drive it into the right-handed hitters. What what is what 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 does that must feel like from a guy like Justin Steele, knowing that somebody like John Lester is sitting there watching you throw and is giving you some advice? Oh, that's that's got to be huge, you know. And and Steele's a guy who's been in the organization for a long time. Um, you know, it's it had some injury issues earlier. And, and what's what's really cool though is is as a left-handed pitcher, uh, you know, those guys have their own little fraternity in a way. And and um, I I talked to him a couple of years ago about when he was working on his changeup, uh, whose brain did he pick? Cole Hamels. When Hamels was with the Cubs and, and was there in spring training when Steele was up with the big club for a while there. And so, um, you know, you've got another lefty in, in John Lester, who we know from his time with the Cubs. And when he was at his peak, Lester could really work in and out, hit those spots. 
and, and attack. And what we're seeing from Steele when he is at his best, and, and really he's had some hard luck. If you look at the numbers, they don't really speak as well to, to what he's accomplished. You know, I think he's what one in five now. Um, and, and the wins and losses are tough, but when he attacks, when he is willing to go after hitters in the zone early and then let the breaking stuff play, he can really be a solid pitcher who goes deep into games. When we see him struggle is when he, he tries to get a little cute. And that's kind of similar to what we saw to Lester, uh, from Lester, you know, toward the end of his time with the Cubs there where things were fading a little bit. So I, I think, again, Lester is the perfect guy to come in there. And obviously we've seen the pedigree from him. But, um, yeah, it's got to be super cool for a guy like Steele to be like, hey, this, this guy's he's retired, whatever, but he still cares enough <laughs> yeah. to want to want to give me some of this advice. Like, if there's a guy to copy, uh, you can find worse uh, role models than John Lester, that's for sure. You just used the word cute a moment ago. I'm just wondering, uh, as we watch Christopher Morrell and the way his career has started up here with the Cubs, I mean, at, at what point is this more than just a, a really cute kind of, you know, storyline, uh, storybookish kind of start to his career, and when do we really start to take it more seriously? Hmm. Well, I, I guess if there's ever a point when he stops reaching base, um, you know, we can, we can start worrying when he stops extending his record, right? That we start, uh, but, but you know, I, and I, I, I was thinking about this the other day and I know, you know, baseball folks don't typically think of things this way. And, and I don't know if we'll see this continue, but I think he's as close as I've seen to, if you look at college basketball, a lot of times you see players whose skills are, you know, when you watch them, uh, let's for any Purdue fans out there, Jaden Ivey is one who I feel like his skill set translates even better to the NBA than what it would in college. And, and similarly, Morell feels like he was the Cubs' twenty-one, twenty-first ranked prospect. Not that many people were were as high on him, maybe outside the organization. But you look at that energy, and I feel like that's a guy who maybe isn't going to be at the top of his game with twelve hundred people in the stands, two thousand people in the stands. But you put the TV lights on there. You get 30,000 people cheering and screaming, and it just feels like he's a guy who feeds off of that. I mean, he is a transformer of energy, and you just watch him play, and you can't help but be transfixed by him and, and just, just put a smile on your face. So uh, he feeds off that. I think he gives that off to other guys, and, and he's one of those players that just, aside from just what he's actually doing with the, the hits and the stolen bases and the sack flies, it just he gives energy off, and he's just somebody you want to have on that roster. So whatever role that ends up being, I think his impact is bigger than what the box score ends up showing, and, and that's something that, again, it's it's tough to quantify. And so you know, baseball being a numbers based game, kind of difficult. But I I just I love what the kid brings, and uh, boy, I hope he sticks around forever because he, he's just a fun <laughs> one to watch. He definitely has that Javi Baez esque energy to him, where it's just a guy you want to cheer for, a guy you want to root for. Somebody that you want on your team, of course, talking about Christopher Morrell with Evan Altman. Evan, you do owe a dollar to the pot because we put a dollar in the pot every time we bring up the NBA in the middle of a different mm-hmm. segment. I've lost three dollars today, just by, just so you know, you're not by yourself there in, in that particular situation. Um, speaking of of the Cubs, they play tomorrow against the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, first pitch at six oh five. Pre-game starts at five thirty. Right here on six seventy, the score on the mound. We got Keegan Thompson, who's just been phenomenal this year. Is he ever going to lose a game, or is he just? Do you feel like he's just going to stay, you know, as, as hot as he's been? Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, Thompson is like he's gotten the opposite results almost of Steele. You know, he he can't lose, 
Uh, Seals kind of getting the, the hard luck there. But, you know, Thompson's one of these guys, again, I, I think he was able to build some of that confidence coming out of that relief role and, uh, and really carry that over. Again, another one who just goes out there, kind of got the bulldog mentality of just attack, attack. And, uh, and, and you love to see that going on, right? We've already talked about Caleb Killian, Swarmer, Steele, Thompson, a bunch of guys who have come up through that system. And, you know, for the previous 10 years, everybody's been waiting. When are the Cubs going to get some pitchers? When are they going to get some homegrown pitchers? Uh, now they do. And it's, it's really, again, he's another one who's fun to watch because he doesn't really dance around too much. He just goes out there, pitches his game, and, you know, keeps the ball in the yard. Let's his defense work behind him as well, and, he, and he'll miss some bats in there. So, yeah, eventually is that going to catch up with him? Sure, but, I mean, right now he's, he's looking like the guy that the Cubs don't have outside of maybe Wilson Contreras, a couple other guys here and there. Thompson's looking like a guy who could be in the running for an all-star bid, which would be pretty impressive, uh, all things considered. You know, again, so getting a homegrown pitcher up there, again, another guy you love watching. And I, and I think guys like playing behind him because, uh, again, he, he just he keeps it going really quickly. And uh, and let's uh, again let's the defense work. So I'm hoping he can get another one. Baltimore's a, a decent, uh, maybe a soft landing after having to go up against Milwaukee and St. Louis. Yeah, he's pitching phenomenally, and and hopefully, I mean, an All Star bid would be great to get something like that. It'll bring a lot of joy to the North Side and a lot of joy to King of Thompson, who deserves it, especially the way his season's been going so far. Evan, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Have a fantastic night. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Evan Altman, of course, Real Cubs Insider. You can follow him on Twitter, D Evan Altman, right over there. I mean, damn, all star appearance. I mean, it, I never thought it. I hadn't thought it yet. But right when Evan right. said it, I was like, wait, he's six and zero with a sub two ERA. This guy most definitely is going to be in the All Star game. He has to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely it's worthy of conversation. I really hadn't even gone there mentally at this point either. Where it's just so many. You know, storylines, you're trying to figure out, like, how seriously can we take this player? How much can they get out of that young prospect? And, you know, for actually who's going to earn some accolades here, Ian Happ, worthy of some all-star mention at this yeah. point. Also, you know, he can be one of those guys in consideration. Obviously, Wilson Contreras has already been there before, likely to do that again based off kind of a career year he's having in the box. So, you know, could you end up with, you know, three different Cubs in the all-star game? Probably not, but it was nice <laughs> for them to at least have multiple guys yeah. who are going to be in that discussion. Absolutely right. He's Anthony Heron. I'm Gabe Ramirez, somebody who's definitely going to be in the all-star game. Tim Anderson joined our boy Lawrence Holmes earlier today. We're going to replay that interview on the very other side, so do not miss it. Again, this is 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.